Psalms 142, we'll start reading at verse 1. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, with my voice and the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. And the way wherein I walked, they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge felt me, no man cared for my soul. I cried to thee, O Lord, I said, Thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. I want you to go back and look where it says in your Bible, Psalms 142, and underneath it in most Bibles are written these words, Maskil of David, a prayer when he was in uh, the cave. And we see uh, David here a little depressed, greatly distressed, crying out to God. The Bible says, verse 2, I poured out my complaint before him in my trouble. My spirit was overwhelmed. Now, occasionally in life, we reach this point where we find ourselves being overwhelmed by the problems of life, whether it's a tragedy or simply the responsibilities, the finances, family problems, you name it. Normally it's not one circumstance or one factor, but a multitude of factors that have accumulated, piled up, and we simply can't shoulder them. From this cave, and we don't know which cave it was, we know several times during David's flight from Saul trying to preserve his life, he ended up in caves. He ended up, 1 Samuel 22, in the cave of Engedi, and then in chapter 24 in the cave of Adullam. And most would say this was during his first cave experience. But can you imagine David, 10 to 15 years, running and hiding for his life? Now imagine if there was a manhunt on a national level for you, and the president was in charge, had the resources and the manpower and was full of hatred and bitterness, satanically oppressed, motivated a day and night to hunt you down like a rabbit and slay you if at all possible. Now, David had fled several times. Saul had thrown spears, and Saul had even used his own daughter to try to trap and kill David. And can you imagine living under this kind of stress and pressure for a long time? Now, when you think about a cave... Those are pretty dark, bleak moments. And when you're in a cave, did you know every sound that is made in the night to you is a bear or a lion? I don't know if you've ever camped out. I've hunted bears several times in Alaska. They put us in a plane and they fly you out in the middle of the wilderness and they drop you off. When they drop you off, they say, don't get hurt, don't get attacked. Don't twist an ankle, don't break a leg, don't fall into the river because you have no communication for a week. Good luck. <laughs> now, the danger is not the animals, the moose or the bear or the river, the four-wheelers. The danger is staying in the wilderness seven days with James Hoffmeister. <laughs> That's dangerous. And I... Remember several times, we've had some 
pretty hilarious situations and moments, but one night in that cabin, we heard a noise, and because you have a simple piece of plywood that they call a door, and any time a bear wants in, he has no problem opening that little piece of plywood, we would sleep with our guns, our rifles, and our pistols loaded, and the pistols on the end of the bed, and the rifles leaning up against the wall. One night about 1 o'clock, we heard a noise, and James jumped out of bed, grabbed his gun, threw the door open, and walked outside. I grabbed the door, shut it, <laughs> put a pistol in both of my hands, and told him, James, just go ahead and stay out there tonight because we're not letting you back in. Now, he was yelling something about a bear. My guess is a rat ran across the roof or a fly hit the window. But when you're sleeping in the Alaskan wilderness and you know there are bears that can reach through that window and pull you out of your little wooden cot, you uh, sleep very lightly and consider every noise dangerous. And when you're in that kind of a cave, you, have you ever been in a cave and your, your thought, your imagination, your mind starts to go crazy? And because you have a financial problem or because you're dealing with a health issue, you're convinced this is it. I have six months to live. We're not going to make it. How are we going to pay the bills? You're, you're looking at whatever factors are in your life and you are convinced by the noises, no matter how light or how slight they are, you're convinced this is the end. This is it. I'm finished. There's no way out. And that's where David found himself. The Bible says he cried out to God and said, God, my spirit, it's overwhelmed. I can't take it. Now, here's, here's what's funny. You know, once we get a little older in life, we look back at that science test in ninth grade that was so overwhelming. And we think, wow, I can't believe I was actually overwhelmed by that. And you can remember, and you have children now. And you don't even want to share your experiences because now you've been hit by circumstances in life and relationships and work situations and loss. And you know what it means to truly be overwhelmed where you lay in bed at night and you don't want to wake up in the morning. Now I know we like to put a brave face on things and we like to say, well, I'm a bigger man than that, and I'm a bigger woman than that, and I've never had any problems, and I can face it. Well, if you can say that in all truthfulness, brace yourself, because at some point, you will find yourself in a cave. All alone, the pit of despair, the edge of the cliff, you feel like not only being, or that you are on the edge of the cliff, you feel like life kicked you off the edge, and you had a sunflower plant that you grabbed on your way over and you're sliding your hands down, raking the leaves off and you know that thing can't hold you and you've got about 10 seconds before you plunge to your death. And here's what you do. Here's what we all do. Here's what human nature does. It begins to pour out complaints before God and show him all that trouble. Our spirit gets overwhelmed. And look what he says in verse 4. Refuge failed me. I, I looked at my right hand. There was no one there. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. Look at the two words in verse 6. 
jump out off the page. He says, I was brought, what? Very uh, low. If you have reached a point where food didn't even sound good, you had no energy. And listen, folks, there are a lot of factors in life, whether that's a chemical imbalance. And there are people in life that are just simply stronger than others. There are people by nature that are faint-hearted or fearful or weak. And you better understand there's differences in temperament, differences in mental and emotional strength. But in life, we know this, all of us will at some point most likely find ourselves in this kind of situation. Let me ask you this. What had David done wrong? Was he paying for sin? Was this a consequence of a bad decision? He could cry out in despair and confusion because David had done everything right. I mean, David had been an obedient son. David had done exactly what his father had asked of him. God had actually handpicked him as Saul's replacement. Saul was the one that was possessed or oppressed or simply crazy. And it was seemingly the insane one that had the upper hand. And David, who was walking with God and living right and doing right, not for a month, not for 15 months, not for a couple of years, but now this was seemingly endless. And he thought, how long am I going to have to run and hide and live in this condition? How long am I going to have to eat berries and sleep on rocks and hide in caves? And he's looking, if you read chapter 22, 23, and chapter 24, listen, he, he lived with the Philistines for a while, feigning to be a madman, slobbering on his beard, walking around, slurring his speech. Then he goes to the priest, hungry, gets some bread. When Saul finds out, he slays everyone involved. Now David's carrying that weight on his shoulders, saying, simply because I asked him for bread, I brought about the murder. Not just the man of God, but servants of God. He's carrying a lot on his plate. Let me ask you this. Here's what we tend to think. We tend to think that we're the only one that's dealing with problems on this level. Anybody else would be crushed by this load because people can't simply understand what I'm dealing with. Well, actually, most people in life will reach this point. Most people on a sin-cursed earth will have to deal with accumulated pressures that at some point will push you to a breaking point emotionally, being overwhelmed in your spirit. Let, let's take a look at a few in the Bible. Let's look at Job for a second. The four or five, I don't care who your heroes in the Bible are, the four or five greatest men in the Bible all reached a point, this point of despair, found themselves in a cave. Look what Job said in Job chapter 3. Now I know Job kept his integrity. He was a man that eschewed evil. And uh, chapter 2 verse 4 says he held fast to his integrity but in chapter 3, which is rarely preached on, it says after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed his day. I think he'd had enough. I think he laid down and said, I just lost my family. I lost my kids, my wife. I don't know where she stands. 
she's struggling and uh, I've lost my possessions. I've lost my sheep and my cattle and my camels. I don't have much left. Now my health, I'm messing with these boils. And he opens up his mouth and curses the day he was born. Job spake and said, verse 3, Let the day perish when I was born, and the night in which it was said there is a man-child conceived. Let that day be darkness, and let God regard it, not regard it from above, neither let the light shine upon it. Verse 11, this is a man that's discouraged and despairs of life. Why died I not from the womb? Why did I not give up the ghost when I came out of the belly? Why did the knees prevent me? Or why did the breast that I should suck? For now should I have lain still and just been quiet? I should have slept. I wish I had just fallen asleep and died. Verse 24. For my sighing cometh before I eat. My roarings are poured out like the waters. For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me. How many of you ever thought about losing a child? Not just losing a child, but losing your family to a tragedy all at once. And obviously that thought had crossed his mind because now he said the thing that I greatly feared. One day all ten of his children had their lives snatched from them. Maybe his mind's going back to the funeral and walking by ten different caskets, looking each child in the face for the last time. Oh, the sheep didn't matter much now. Camels and the ox and that really didn't matter. But those kids, watching his wife grieve, laying there struggling in his flesh and thinking, I just, you know, I really don't even know why I should battle another day. I wish I'd never even been born. You said, that's Joe. Yeah, that's a mighty man of God. That's a hero of the faith. That's the one that we all look to. And he's cursing the day that he was born. Look what the Bible says in 1 Kings. How about another one of our heroes of the faith? 1 Kings 19. Elijah found himself in the same spot. You know, you get in the cave and it's lonely. Your mind starts to get filled with fear and doubt. There's no man there to aid you, no solution in sight. Now, if you're under 30, you're probably not going to understand anything I say tonight. But if you've been around for a few years, you know what I'm talking about. Elijah, in verse 9, the Bible says he came thither into a cave. So one of the greatest men that ever walked this planet, one of the greatest prophets of God of any generation comes to a cave and he lodged there. Now, is there a problem with finding yourself in a cave? Does the Bible tell us anywhere that depression is sin? Did you know at some point in your life you're going to find yourself depressed? And everyone reacts differently. And if you go to the ice cream shop and ask them for a triple fudge, banana split, two at a time, or drive off to a park or get in your car and fill it up with gas and 
throw the map out the window and turn off your GPS and you just start driving. I don't care how you respond. All of us, at some point in life, found ourselves depressed. Maybe you just sat down at the table with two bags of chips, a little French onion dip, and a half a gallon of ice cream, and one spoon, and your kids showed up, walked in the door, and said, Mom, what are you doing? And you had ice cream down your shirt and on the side of your mouth, and chips in the ice cream bowl, and empty jar of French onion dip, and you said nothing. I'm not doing anything. <laughs> and the youngest gave you a hug, and the eldest went to their bedrooms and locked the door. <laughs> and with the one with the cell phone called Dad and said, Dad, come home quick. Save us. Her eyes are popping out of her head again. And I think she ate a half a gallon of ice cream. Elijah goes to a cave. Now, the problem is not finding yourself there. The problem is making this a home. It's one thing to be depressed. It's another thing to prolong depression and stay depressed. He lodges there. Now, that's a problem. A cave, you may have to spend a night there, but you don't want to spend a year there. It's the wrong spot to be. And behold, the word of the Lord came unto him, and he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God. Um, you're actually talking to God. He probably pretty much knows this. God said, okay. For the children of Israel, they've forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only, I am left. And they seek my life. I think I need some more ice cream. <laughs> now, here's what's sad because he decided to lodge here. His ministry ended. This was it. This was the end. The problem was not being depressed, but staying depressed, making the cave a lifestyle, a mentality, a philosophy. You don't want to do that. Look what it says, Matthew chapter 11. Let's go take a look at the man that Jesus Christ called the greatest ever born of woman. Matthew chapter 11. Yes, he had preached. Yes, he had seen souls saved and converts baptized and he had prepared the way of the Lord. But at the end of his life, he's sitting in jail. He's not even that old. You'd think, well... Someone like this, if he's the greatest born of women, he has a power of God resting upon him in such a fruitful ministry. God would surely do a miracle on his behalf. But here John sits in prison and look what the cave does to him. Verse 3, he said to him, Art thou he that should come or do we look for another? Did you know when you get in this state of mind, Satan will start to play with your mind and your thoughts, becomes his playground. Before long, he's doubting the very fundamentals of his faith. He had come to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, and now in that cave, in that prison, in that pool of depression, he's actually asking the question, 
Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the Christ? Or do we look for another? You better be careful. Because when you reach this spot and you find yourself in this cave and you're dealing with depression, you will begin to doubt the very fundamentals. You'll even doubt the very word of God. You'll doubt the inspiration and the preservation of this book You'll doubt everything from your salvation to eternal security to the goodness of God. I'd never do that. John the Baptist did. John the Baptist found himself there and he said, I don't even know if Christ is the Christ or Jesus is the Messiah. Cousins, friends, fellow preachers. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians. How about Paul? 2 Corinthians 1, verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. Look what Paul says. That we were pressed out of measure. Now, Paul was not a complainer. Paul was not someone that uh, exaggerated his problems or revealed to the world his level of stress, but at this point he says, listen, we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we despaired even of life. Have you ever been there? Can any of us say that we were so pressed out of measure above strength that we despaired? Now, Paul had been shipwrecked. I've never dealt with that level of despair. I can't imagine grabbing a piece of wood out on a, a sea, a body of water where the waves are 10 and 12 and 15 feet high, it tears apart a ship and you grab onto a piece of wood and try to float into shore, that, I hate water. I can't swim. I don't like sharks. I don't even like the thought of being stung by a jellyfish. I want to be the one that's pulling the fish out of the water, hitting it on the head with a stick, and filleting it with a knife. I want to eat the fish. I don't want the fish to eat me. How many like being blown around, hanging onto a piece of wood, it's raining, you can see the lightning, and you know things are in the water hunting you? That's despair. But he said, wait, I had a worse moment than that. Let me ask you, David is sitting in this cave crying out to God and he's saying, God, I've had enough. I really can't deal with this anymore. I know you want me to be the next king. I know I'm supposed to be the leader. Now, let me, let's go back to 1 Samuel 24 because I want to show you just a few facts, a few lessons that we can learn from the cave and we'll be done tonight because you will find yourself there. 1 Samuel chapter 22 the cave is not a pretty place. But here's what's so strange normally about the cave. When we talked about Paul and Job and Elijah and John the Baptist and David, every single one of these servants, when they found themselves in the cave, they were doing right. They were standing on principle. They were not the one to blame they were not suffering the consequence of their sin. 
What they were suffering was a perfect storm with a multitude of factors and an overwhelming loneliness. In a deep, dark depression, it set over their soul and spirit. Look what it says, chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down hither to him. And look at the crowd that is surrounding him. And everyone that was in distress. And everyone that was in debt. And everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him. So who was David in the cave with? Everyone in there was distressed. And in despair. And indebted. So everyone's just sitting around complaining saying, I'm at the end of my rope. Me too. Do you have a nickel? I don't. Do you have some bread? No. A peanut. A root. An acorn. Anything. No. I got a broken arm and an empty wallet and a wife that threw me out of the house. That's all I got. What about you? Me? I'm dying of cancer. What about you, Billy Bob? I don't know. I broke a few ribs. I think I punctured my lung. But other than that, I'm doing pretty good. But I don't got any food. Can you imagine 400 people in the same condition? Now, hold on for a second. I want you to think about something. When you find yourself in the cave, God is there. And sometimes God will put you in a place where there's no one else, no one else that will understand. And you may say, even as David did, you may be surrounded by 400 people and still say, no man cared for my soul. But God's there, and God cares, and God knows, and God has a solution. And David, God is going to take care of you, and you are going to make it to the palace, and there will be better days ahead. Now, I know David looked around and he said, no man cared for my soul. But look what it says in chapter 22, verse 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave. And when his brethren in his father's house heard it, they went down thither. Verse 3 and 4, David went thence and he said to the king of Moab, let my father and my mother, I pray thee, come forth and be with you till I know what God will do for me. So God sent him his family. What about chapter 23, verse 16? And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the wood and what? Strengthened his hand in God. I thank God. Usually it's not even the same person. It's not even the same friend. But I thank God for those few times in my life that I found myself at my lowest point. God had someone there. They might have not even known it. Maybe I put on a brave face and they had no clue here's here's a good thing god will place people in your life at the right time with the right words now it's just not a good idea to take everything that you're feeling and everything that you're suffering and all that hurt and pain and park on someone's couch and just unload it because i'm going to tell you a secret they're not going to understand. You know what we want? We want people to feel the depths of our pain. We want people to take God's place. And God won't even allow that. 
Because God says, I want you to need me, and I want to meet that need, and I'm not going to put someone in your life that will meet the need that I'm supposed to meet. You know, God likes it when we cry out to him. God likes it when we reach out to him. And here's what David does. Go back with me to Psalm 142. He cries out in verse 5, O Lord, thou art my refuge, my portion, the land of the living. I'm brought low. Look what he says. Deliver me. How many ever prayed that before? God, just deliver me. Could you do that? And then we put a time frame on it. Look what he says. Bring my soul out of prison. How many ever felt like that? You had no bars, no chains, no shackles. But that's where you were at. Now, here's really what I wanted to reach tonight. We're finally at the, the message. When you find yourself in a cave, you forget what you know. Now, I want you to think for a minute. When, when you're in a cave, we use a cave often to justify poor behavior. Chapter 24, we didn't read it tonight, but it talks about uh, when he was in the cave, he looked down, he saw Saul and all these men that were in distress and despair and indebted. They said, look, we have our solution. God said he was going to give you the throne and victory over Saul and he's asleep, and we can go down, slit his throat, problem over. You know what happens? When, when we're at that point of despondency in life, you've got to be very careful because we can actually put a verse to our craziness, and we can start to think in such an insane manner. We can justify any kind of behavior on the planet when we're in the cave of despair and despondency. Now, you know what you need to do in the cave? You need to fasten your seatbelt and say, I'm just going to do right, and I'm going to do right today, and I'm going to do right tomorrow, and I'm going to do right the next day, and I'm going to do right the next day, and I'm going to come out of this cave, and I'm going to be okay. Right now, I don't feel like it. Right now, I feel insane, and I'm thinking insane, and I want to go crazy, and I think the world's crazy, but here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to pick up one foot and put it forward and continue to move forward and do what I know is right to do because I don't want to look back at this moment with regret and say, because of cave, I went off track because of despair and despondency, I made a wrong decision that I'm going to have to pay for the rest of my life. He would have done something that would have knocked him out of his kingship forever. He knew better than to touch the Lord's anointed. He went down there and he was tempted. He was so close. He was holding that knife and standing over Saul and it was going through his mind Right now, this is the end of my problem. This is the end of my frustration. I wonder how close that knife blade came to Saul's throat. He thought, if this man moves, my problem is over. God smote his heart and said, don't you do that. You do right. I don't care how dark it is. I don't care how crazy your thoughts are. You do right. Cut off the edge of his robe. And he walked away. And God said, not even that was a good thing to do. How many times have you been in a dark moment and you started getting flooded with crazy thoughts? Right? Yeah. Satan does that. You say, what do I do? You hang on and do the right thing. Now, let me ask you this. What is the way out of the cave? Because when we get in the cave, we forget what we know is right and true. There's only one door out of the cave. Look what it says, verse 7. 
Bring my soul out of prison. So at this point, he's crying out to God. We know he's overwhelmed. He's at the end of his rope. Then look what he says. David, you've messed up here. You're wrong. Bring my soul out of prison that I might praise thy name. God, I can't praise you in this condition. So what you're going to have to do is lift me up out of this pit. Take me out of this cave. Provide me with better circumstances, and I'll praise your name. It doesn't work that way, David. You praise to get out. The door out of the cave is praise. And here's what we do. We let the circumstances determine our praise. And here's what praise does for us. It takes our eyes off ourselves, and it takes our eyes off our circumstances. And it changes our focus. When our focus changes, our shackles come off. I've seen people in a prison a self-made prison of misery. You say, Pastor, well, consider all the circumstances. I know people under every circumstance of life that are smiling, that are happy, that are cheerful, that are joyful. You know what the difference is? They're focused. One is praising, one is not. And the door to your prison has one key. That key is called praise. And until you praise, you are captive. And here's what David said. God you change my circumstances, you get me out of here, and I'll praise your name. God said, really? David, you already know this. David, you've already been here. David, this is not something new. Look what it says in Psalms 57. David had just forgotten. He knew this principle. He'd come out of caves before. Do you think this was David's first trip to the cave? No. Now, I want you to see something in Psalms 57, read the little caption underneath the chapter heading. To the chief musician, Altus, David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. So this chapter was also written when he was spending time running from Saul and hiding in caves. Look what it says in verse 7. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. Okay, what's your heart fixed to do? You're living in a cave. You're living in horrible circumstances. What's he saying? I will sing and give praise. Uh, okay. So how are you getting out of those caves? My heart's fixed. I don't care what my circumstance is. I'm going to sing. I'm going to give praise. Awake up my glory. Awake psalter and harp. I myself will wake early. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. So David knew the principle. He'd come out of caves before, but this time he forgot. How many got into a cave and you forgot what you knew? I mean, you knew. Good night. You're born and raised in church. You've been saved for a long time. You know Bible principles, but as soon as it got dark, it messed with your mind and you forgot some of the most basic principles of the Christian life. You got there and you wallowed in that pit and you're frustrated. You even despaired for life. You're ready to give it up. You said, there's no way out of this. Yeah, there is. The key's the same. The door's the same. The escape hatch is the same. It's a change of focus, which means you're going to have to praise his name. Thank God because once you get your mind on the fact that I'm king, 
God's promised me a throne. Which means I haven't lived in the palace or sat on that throne, so there must be better days coming. I'm not dead yet. I'm thinner, but thinner is better. I've got 400 friends. That group grew from 400 to 600 because there's a lot of despairing, despondent, indebted people. There are others that would have joined this group. They just didn't know how to locate them. I'm sure there were thousands in that group. Amen? When you find yourself in that cave, when you find yourself there, you're not the only person. Everyone has been there. The greatest men in the, the Bible have been there, and there's one way out. And it's not a change of circumstances. It's not looking back and saying, God, if you gave me a perfect life and a better paying job and a perfect spouse, God, if you arranged all these things and put everything in place, then I know I could be happy. No, you couldn't. You could not be happy with perfect circumstances because any life without praise and thankfulness is a cave. And any moment that you find yourself with ingratitude or unthankfulness or heart empty of praise, you know what? You have found yourself in a prison of despondency, in a cave of despair. You're in a pit of depression because your focus is on you. And that's a miserable, miserable existence. I'll show you one more verse and we'll be done. Look what it says in Psalm 73. Psalm 73, 26. What David said, My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion. What did David say? God is my portion. So if God is your portion, that means the only thing you need in life is God, and if you have God, you have enough to be happy. If you have a God that's alive, that's all-powerful, you have enough. Amen. So circumstances don't have to be perfect. So David sits back in the middle of his trouble, and he says, God is my portion. Hold on for a second. When you get to that point, and you say, okay, my flesh and my heart fell, but God is the strength of my heart, my portion forever then look what happens. Your perspective changed, verse 28. Then you go from saying, I'm in despair, to saying, God is good. And when you say God is good, then you say what? But it is good. The average Christian has been convinced by this world and bought a lie that says, unless everything is in place, and your life is perfect, you simply can't be happy. Your joy can't be full. Your car has to be new. Your refrigerator has to be filled with groceries. Your relationships have to be on a level 10. Your children have to love you. Your boss has to praise you. The climate has to be perfect. Your health has to be excellent. And then if everything's in order, you wake up happy in the morning. No, you won't. Coffee won't taste good. You'll stub your toe on the way to the closet. You'll find some reason to get upset and have a miserable day. Now, the majority of the times, the cave is a choice. And we find ourselves overwhelmed. You know what's amazing? I did a poll this morning. And I asked a group of people, how often do you feel overwhelmed? How many days in a week and 
The response was once or twice a week. I would say that's probably average for their age and even greater among those that are a little older. There's so many factors. You know what the biggest factor is? The focus factor. Because you're either focusing on God, who has not changed and is still almighty, or you're focused on your circumstance. And if you're focused on your circumstances, you're right in the midst of a pit, and you found yourself in a cave, and you're lonely, and your spirit is overwhelmed, and you're frustrated with the circumstances. You say, how do I get out? You take a seat, and you say, what a lovely house. What wonderful children God has given me. My husband paid the light bill this month. Isn't it nice to run the AC in December? <laughs> Can't wait to go shopping. My goodness, no one had to put me in a wheelchair today. I actually walked around. My back doesn't hurt. My feet don't hurt. Man, life's pretty good. Wow, I get to go to church tonight. Got a nice phone that I call some friends with. Man. I don't know what I'm lacking. I do have it pretty good. I got a God that loves me. My salvation, according to the Bible, is forever. I can't even lose it today. I didn't even lose it this morning. You know what? If you meditate long enough, you'll pull yourself out of the cave. Or you'll sit around like David did and say, Okay, God, I'll praise your name when you get me out of this prison. God says, if that's the case, you'll never praise my name because you get out of prison by praising my name.